Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Hi, this is Stephen Nill, CEO of CharityChannel.com. So, you want your charity to succeed. You came to the right place. Integration of online and offline techniques is the key to your successful fundraising, and practical advice on going green is what you need. With this show, The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, you will learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Our host is Ted Hart, one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders. This year, he is celebrating 25 years in the nonprofit sector and the 10-year anniversary of his firm, TedHart.com. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. His guests are leaders in their field who will share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management, green strategy, and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, here's Ted. And good afternoon. Welcome to this edition of the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. This is Tuesday, February 1st. I'm coming live uh, to you uh, from a very icy and cold Washington, D.C., with more ice expected uh, this evening, not fun for travel. As our listeners know, I'll be uh, traveling tomorrow to participate in the AFP Think Tank on Regulations and Ethics in Fundraising. As always, with this show, we start with page one. <laughs> a terrific show for you today. As always, don't forget that you can call in and ask questions of our page two expert. Uh, that's at 347-324-3080. You can also join us over in the chat room. I see a couple of folks uh, joining us over in the chat room. You can ask questions by typing your question uh, into the chat room. You can also email me at tedhart at tedhart.com. First up here on page one, I want to draw your attention, as always, to the radio links. Those are available at tedhartradio.com. First topic up here on the radio links is a really uh, terrific story about online ordering service delivery.com. This is a service for food and other supplies in New York, and they are working very hard to support City Harvest, uh, and they're allowing people to make gifts that help feed more than 300,000 people each week. So check that out, the wonderful work uh, that uh, Delivery.com is doing to support City Harvest in New York, and that comes to us today from the Chronicle of Philanthropy. Now, I have a a very, very special guest that I want to uh, bring here into page one. Uh, This is, uh, as you uh, can imagine, one of the uh, most important uh, jobs of any university uh, is to teach us uh, in critical thinking. 
I am a very proud graduate of the University of Rochester. I learned a lot while I was there, and I certainly think that a lot of what I know about critical thinking I learned. But there's a very special person at the University of Rochester who taught me something different, and that is Dean Paul Burgett. And what Dean Paul Burgett taught me, which was different than anyone else at the University of Rochester, is to think culturally. And I didn't think that that was something I needed to learn, but uh, Paul Burgett uh, helped me understand how important that was for a well-rounded executive uh, to learn how to think culturally. And uh, today when we were putting together the show, the staff was looking at a variety of different feeds, and we were going to share with you a wonderful video clip that you'll find in the radio links today at tedhartradio.com, and that's Dean Paul Burgett on Black History Month. Of course, today is February 1st, and around the country we start a month-long celebration of black history, but I'm very proud to bring live here on the Nonprofit Coach, Dean Paul Burgett from the University of Rochester. Dean Burgett, thank you for joining us today. Ted, it's an honor. It's a thrill to uh, hear your voice, uh, and uh, I want to assure you that just as you're pleased to be a graduate of the University of Rochester, those of us who are still here are ever more pleased that you are one of our own. Uh, well, thank you so much. Well, as I just shared with uh, my listeners, one of the very special gifts that you gave to me in my time uh, on campus at University of Rochester uh, was to help me think culturally, and that's something that certainly isn't in the brochure or something that uh, you think you're going to learn or need. Uh, you've posted a wonderful video that helps people, and we have shared that video in our radio links at tedhartradio.com, uh, but I wanted to ask you to come on to the show and tell us why is Black History Month still important uh, in an era when we now have our first black president and it seems that uh, uh, blacks have made a lot of progress uh, in this country? Why is it important that we still celebrate this month? Well, let me begin by saying that uh, Black History Month began a long time ago. Actually, it was the invention or the idea, the brainstorm, if you will, of um, an African-American intellectual and academic by the name of Carter Woodson, who's sometimes known as the father of black history. Dr. Woodson in 1926 created something called Black History Week and uh the month of or the that week was during uh, the month of February and the reason for that was that the month of February we celebrate the uh birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and uh the great abolitionist and orator Frederick Douglass and the whole idea of uh Dr. Woodson was to celebrate the accomplishments of of, uh, of African Americans, of blacks, uh, black Americans uh, during that week. And so the week was celebrated throughout much of the, the early part of the 20th century. And then in 1976, during the presidency of Gerald Ford, the week was expanded to a month. And so from 1976 forward, it has been Black History, uh, black History Month. There's been some debate about whether, given what you've just said, um, Black History Month is uh, is uh, needed or necessary any longer, and I I stand readily to say that uh, I think it's wonderful that we have Black History Month because it gives us an opportunity and a kind of concentrated form to focus the nation's attention on accomplishments of African Americans in every aspect of American life. I happen to be a musician. And uh, I will tell you that I'm of an, a sufficiently older generation that growing up as I did, I knew very little about the accomplishments of African Americans.
Americans on the musical scene. I knew a few names like the wonderful Marian Anderson, for example. I knew something about Louis Armstrong, but I didn't really know much else beyond that. Uh, here at the university, I teach a course in the history of jazz, and I teach another course in the music of black Americans. And that is uh, th that is an opportunity for me to expose my students to many of these many of the contributions musically during Black History Month I also have the opportunity to do lectures out in the community and churches and schools and I can bring this wonderful music and these wonderful accomplishments of our fellow citizens African Americans over time who have helped to um, who have helped to contribute in a substantial way to the cultural life of this nation. And so the fact that we can do it in concentrated form, uh, I think, is a distinct advantage. And I think there's a place for Black History Month. There continues to be a place for Black History Month. And it is my my great hope that, that we continue it indefinitely. Well, I, I could not agree with you more. Since I have you, and this is such a, a rare thrill for me to uh, to have such an important person in the formation of, of my mind at university uh, here on, on this show, uh, share with my listeners why uh, it is, of course, important in university to learn critical thinking, and uh, but why is it important to learn to think culturally? Uh, for students, for executives, for people living in this country. Why is that important? The cultural life of a nation uh, tells us something about, well, first of all, the cultural life of a nation is important because it produces, it produces art and artifacts that are beautiful, that are uh, interesting, that are intellectually stimulating, and that reflect aspects of um, in this case, aspects of American life, culture, and history that uh, are important for all of us to know. Beyond that, understanding our culture um, in, a, in a deep and profound way, which I think is a responsibility of the educated citizen, requires us to recognize that um, particularly the American ideal is composed of is composed of contributions by people across a, a broad demographic. I mean, we are we are a nation of mutts, aren't we? We really we are a nation of uh, people who come from from all kinds of circumstances and situations from all over the world, and that great that great. Um, a mixing bowl, if you will, of diversity and difference is this country's great strength. To the extent that 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 the American citizen that American citizens are aware of that, that they know that. To the extent that they're aware of, in my out of my interest, for example, black composers, not only classical composers but jazz composers. To the extent that they understand, for instance. Not only who Louis Armstrong was in the 1920s, but who Louis Armstrong was at the end of his life. To the to the extent that that we understand something about these contributions, do we understand who we are today? What I say to my students, for example, is if you want in the, in one's search for self, having some appreciation for the net sum of what what combines to create the American ethos, the American ethic. Do you, do you understand who it is you are? So I think part of the great value of and the responsibility of and the informed American citizen and of 
of preserving and protecting our cultural icons, our cultural heritages, heritage, and finally, our great democracy is understanding all of those who comprise that great tradition, that great democracy, and what their contributions were. So knowing more is always better than knowing less. And knowing well, always uh, having a few more moments with you is always a, a thrill uh, for me, and, and certainly my listeners can uh, uh, can see why uh, learning at uh, at, at the uh, the uh, vir- virtually at, at the uh, the side of uh, Dean Paul Bergat at the University of Rochester is one of those formative moments for me. The focus of this show is nonprofit life and nonprofit managers and fundraising, uh, and uh, and I think very much uh, a big part of the culture of this country does tie in and much of what you teach and what much of what you shared with us at the University of Rochester I think makes us better citizens and makes us able to reach out culturally around this country so Dean Paul Burgett thank you for uh, this special honor of coming on to the nonprofit coach with Ted Hart and sharing with us your insights into why Black History Month is important as we all start our celebration today I was happy to join you, uh, and I want to thank you, Ted, very much for inviting me to share my thoughts and my enthusiasm for this important month. Thank you again. Take care. And that was uh, Dean Paul Burgett uh, from the University of Rochester, one of those people in my life who I can point to as helping form this mind that helps guide you through the nonprofit coach with Ted Hart. Back up here on uh, page one, the next topic uh, I'm very pleased to share with you today is a big topic that everyone has in mind is what about Facebook and how do I integrate email into Facebook marketing? How can I learn? How can I pull all this together? Well, we have a uh, really terrific link for you today uh, over from Marketing Sherpa Blog, uh, and you can find that at tedhartradio.com to share with you, while there are many metrics uh, that you certainly should be looking at, um, trying to walk you through and helping you learn, you know, why email, why not just say Twitter, um, answering some of the questions uh, about why aren't social media buttons enough. Um, so as I've shared with you many times on this show, uh, it is not enough to just be on Twitter. It is not enough to just be on Facebook. It's the integration of online and offline, but what's also important at, and is increasingly becoming evident is that the multiple marketing channels that are available to you need to come together in working across campaigns. The email is not enough. Direct mail is not enough. All these tools working together uh, will bring you greater success. Next up here on page one is a uh, wonderful download, a PDF uh, uh, report that comes to us from Johns Hopkins University Center for Civil Society Studies. And what they're specifically looking at is the nonprofit technology gap. Is this a myth uh, or a reality? Uh, And what they're trying to do in this study, and I think it's really, really important, um, is that they're trying to identify and sort out all of the various sort of myths and uh, topics related to the use of technology. There are three key findings that resulted from this inquiry. Uh, One is the majority of nonprofits are relying on a range of current information technologies that are both administrative functions and program and service delivery. Number two is, however, most nonprofits are not content with the extent to which they have integrated technology into their program and service delivery and recognize that they need to be doing more. 
That's, of course, a big topic on, on this uh, show. It's how do we integrate this. Our focus is uh, it's certainly the integration for fundraising, outreach, and community development, uh, and the integration of online and offline is very important. The third key finding that you will uh, learn in this uh, study from Johns Hopkins is the, the lack of funding time and expertise are the major barriers preventing nonprofits from harnessing the full potential of information technology. And that's why on this show we share with you specific tasks that you can take, specific practical things that you can do. Because it is that step-by-step -step march, as I've shared with you before, a four-year plan uh, is the best approach for you rather than sort of the big bang, trying to do everything at once, trying to spend lots of money and to put everything in place all at once, but to grow your community, to grow your expertise both internally and externally. We've got a lot for you today on page one, and the radio links are really going to be heating up today uh, because you'll also find over in the radio links a download of a PDF file from PR Web. The white paper that you can download will show you how to write great online news releases. And, of course, all of us are very interested in getting more publicity. In the white paper, they will show you how to make your story newsworthy to attract more bloggers and media, they will also help you find more donors and volunteers by optimizing your release for search rankings, to use online videos, podcasts, and multimedia to grab even more attention, and they will show you how to find new members locally and nationally by targeting your message. So really a terrific read, a nice download of this PDF file. You're going to find that over at the radio links today at Ted Hart. Radio.com. Before I wrap up here on page one, I want to help you prepare for page two. Our page two expert today will be available for you to call in at 347-324-3080. I uh, also can ask questions uh, over in uh, the uh, over in the chat room uh, if you would like. Uh, and our guest expert today, I'll be introducing in just a few moments, and is an expert uh, in board development and helping whip your board uh, into shape. Next up here on page one uh, is, again, one more link from the Facebook marketing series supported by Buddy Media. This comes to us over on Mashable.com, providing powerful tools for Facebook. And today I'm sharing with you a link on how you can create a Facebook engagement policy. I have to tell you, if there's anything that I get asked for more in my lectures of recent dates, uh, is how do I set policy? How do I understand um, how to develop guidelines uh, for resolving issues online, for response times, uh, for understanding how to handle inquiries that come through social media, um, how to clear ground rules for fan posts on Facebook? Um, how does all of this work? So uh, it, you will find the answers to what you're looking for uh, in this series that's supported by Buddy Media Platform. Uh, and today we have specific the link for you to understand how to create a Facebook engagement uh, policy. So that's the wonderful page one that we have uh, for you today. Again, a very special thank you uh, to our special guest today, Paul Burgett, Vice President and General Secretary at the University of Rochester, helping us celebrate uh, Black History Month. And now with that, we are ready for page two. <laughs> Here on 
on page two, it's my pleasure to welcome Dottie Singlinger, uh, who is the Vice President of E-Governance at Board Effect. She is a renowned expert in the impact of e-governance on the nonprofit sector. She's worked in nonprofit uh, capacity building for over 15 years first developing systems for the Pennsylvania rather Humanities Council and later certificate programs for the nonprofit center at LaSalle University. Dottie was instrumental in developing Board Effect, a secure online portal and information management system for boards of directors. She's a frequent presenter nationally and internationally and writes on e-governance, including a chapter in uh, our new book, uh, Internet Management for Nonprofits. So please uh, uh, help me welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart today, Dottie Singlinger. Dottie, how are you? I'm doing very well, Ted. Thank you so much for having me back on The Nonprofit Coach. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you back on uh, on the show. We had you on uh, on the show a, a little while back, and of course, you were very well received. Uh, and uh, uh, today, of course, we do uh, celebrate uh, the beginning of Black History Month and the recognition of cultures uh, as they relate to nonprofit management. Tying that into your topic, nonprofit management, of course, in a lot of ways, begins and ends with a solid, strong board of directors. So, help us understand today. I'm going to start right at the top here uh, in understanding what it is that you do at Board Effect uh, and what is Board Effect. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, so just to just to kind of tie all the different threads together, I mean, the main focus of what we're doing at Board Effect is working with nonprofit organizations to help them strengthen their boards. Our main goal is to provide tools and strategies that can help them to do that. So really enhancing board engagement, ensuring that the board has the information that they need to do their jobs really well, um, and then providing them the support that they need to ensure that uh, as they begin to implement new tools, the board understands how to use those tools and really leverage them to greatest advantage. Um, so what Board Effect really is, is an online, it's a web-based portal. It's a secure place where the board can go to do its work. They can store their meeting materials there. They can do their committee work there, they can collaborate online, um, and so the idea is that the board has access to all the information they need anytime they need it so that they can make informed decisions, hopefully so that their meetings can be more productive and maybe even a little shorter, um, and basically just really make it possible for the board to do good governance, um, always having the information that they need right at hand. And I think what's interesting, I was really enjoying listening to um, the, the Page One expert and, and talking about um, Black History Month, and I was thinking about that, that issue of you know, cultural competency and the ability to increase the diversity of boards of directors. It's really um, such a challenge. I think a lot of organizations want to try to have more diversity on their boards of directors. And one of the things that we're seeing in terms of that, um, that effort towards diversity is that more organizations that begin to adopt e-governance are finding that their efforts to diversify their boards are a little easier. Um, partly that's because they don't necessarily always have to be local. Um, if you have this kind of a tool in place, you can expand the borders of your boardroom to incorporate people outside of the local community, um, perhaps tap experts that are in other parts of the country or even other parts of the world, and have them be fully engaged, fully responsible board members. Um, so we're seeing what's really interesting. There is a little bit of a connection <laughs> between the uh, the diversity question and, and you know using these kinds of new tools. So I thought I would just uh, raise that up. 
I'm so glad that you did because I do think that that's very important um, to, to help uh, our listeners understand uh, that what board effect really is um, in its sort of simplest form for people to understand um, is really sort of uh, an intranet site professionally managed and developed uh, for board members to be able to communicate share information, and in a lot of ways, properly managed, uh, becomes the historical knowledge of what it means to be a board member, the history of the communication between prior board members, and really can help uh, board members who use this service to feel much more up to speed and connected to their peers um, right away by having that historical knowledge and information available. Is that correct? That's that's absolutely correct. And and again, you know, one of the things that we're seeing happen with our organizations that have been using Board Effect now for a few years is that they're finding this is a really helpful tool as they go through transition. Um, so as board members come off the board and new board members come onto the board, or even in some cases of our clients, they've had an executive transition. So the executive director, the CEO, has has transitioned, and they're finding that having this central place where all of the historical knowledge is based. Not not just documents from past meeting minutes, but you know, really also including things like discussions that the board has had or committee conversations that they've had. All of that is in one place. And so as new people come into the organization, they can very quickly get up to speed, not just with the decisions that have been made in the past, but with how those decisions were made, um, kind of understanding the context, understanding some of the, the cultural implications of being part of that organization, being part of that board. So it becomes a very powerful way for the group of people trying to work together, sometimes remotely, um, you know, to have, have one central place they can do that work and to get up to speed very quickly. So it certainly does help with that succession. Now, what are some of the most important topics that are facing boards uh, today? Certainly, uh, I appreciate you drawing in the cu cultural significance of diversity on the board. And, of course, today as, as we start the celebration, and it was very kind, I think, of uh, Dean Paul Burgett to, uh, to come on to the show today and to help draw attention to Black History Month. But what are some of the, the biggest issues that boards of directors are facing uh, today, and why is a portal like this helpful to that? Well, I do, I do think that one of the largest issues facing nonprofit boards today is the issue of the changing population. Our, our country is changing. We have um, new immigrant populations coming into the country. The makeup of the country is changing. And so diversity really is a major um, issue. It's an opportunity and a challenge for many organizations. They need to make sure that they are addressing the real needs of the communities that they serve um, and that their boards really represent those communities in a, in a meaningful way. And so that is an ongoing challenge. Um, it certainly is a growing challenge, you know, and I think as I was mentioning before, you know, having a tool in place, an online tool in place that allows the board to do its work from wherever they are um, and get up to speed very quickly with what's happening with the organization is just a major advantage for organizations that are trying to diversify their board and meet the needs of their constituents. Um, I'd also say, you know, clearly one of the greatest challenges for every organization, be it nonprofit or for-profit right now, of course, is still the economy. Um, and as boards of directors, you know, have to kind of struggle with uh, big budgetary decisions, perhaps making some pretty painful cuts, 
um, you know, that having a place where they can have those conversations in real time, um, having one central place they can go back and really get a sense of what's going to happen if we have to cut this major portion of our budget, um, what's going to happen if that funding that we're expecting doesn't come through. You know, they really need to have a place they can be um, in touch with one another quickly and have a place where they can be nimble in their decisions. And so that kind of um, ability is provided by a tool like Board Effect. They have one secure portal they can go in, they can see the history, they can connect with each other quickly, they can be very nimble in making decisions. And I think with, um, you know, with the economy still being pretty unpredictable, um, it's, it's very important for them to have that kind of flexibility and uh, ability to make decisions quickly. So I'd say really um, those are two of the, the largest challenges. Um, and I would say certainly a third challenge for boards and really for nonprofits, again, in general, is really making use of social media. Um, I think we're watching right now what's happening in, in Egypt and what's happening in Tunisia, and we're all sort of in awe of the power of online tools to affect major change. Um, you know, it really has been amazing to see how Twitter and Facebook and other tools are being used to galvanize whole populations of people into action in a way that's just never happened before. And I think it's so important for organizations to just be um, able to use social media appropriately, to really leverage it appropriately. And that has to start from the leadership on down. You know, boards of directors are more and more getting involved with blogs, with their communities. Um, they're getting involved with posting information on different social channels. Um, to communicate directly with their constituents, excuse me, with their constituents, and I think that's an important trend. And so, again, you know, having a portal um, where the board can, you know, find cohesiveness as a body, speak with one voice, um, and then communicate directly with their constituents through different social media channels can be very powerful. So I think, you know, again, those are sort of three big challenges facing boards right now. And I think that, um, you know, having e-governance in place, having a tool like Board Effect in place, can really help to address all three. Now, uh, specifically speaking about your, your portal, we do have an email question from uh, Ken in Dallas, and he's asking, what are the costs of this? And, and you're sharing some of the benefits, but uh, what would this cost an organization to be able to utilize these tools? Sure. Um, so, well, Board Effect specifically is a software as a service type of product. So you subscribe to it. It's an annual um, fee that you pay to use the service. And the price really depends on a couple of different factors. And this is really true not just of Board Effect, but of really every other board portal system out there on the market. Um, typically, the pricing is based on the, the usage. So it's the number of users that are going to have access to the system. So typically, that's the number of board members, committee members, staff members you know, who are going to be accessing the portal. Um, and then usually there's also um, a fee based on the number of committees, so different workspaces that are carved out within the portal. So once you have that, that sort of idea of scope, you can get a sense of where you are on the pricing. Um, for Board Effect, kind of the average price per year comes in around $4,500 per year. Um, that's really just kind of you know, right in the middle, and it can go a bit higher, it can go a bit lower, just depending on that scope. But that gives you, I think, a, a ballpark um, that you can kind of get a sense of what the pricing would be. So what size organization is this uh, ideally uh, suited for? Because it would seem that a small organization would have difficulty with that price, and if that's you know, sort of an entry 
level um, that might be difficult for a certain size. Sure. Um, well, so it, it kind of depends on how we're talking about size, right? Because, of course, there's size of the budget and there's size of the organizational um, operation, and then there's, of course, the size of the board. Um, the pricing can go lower than that. You know, it really depends on, again, the scope of what's happening with uh, with the, the portal. And we do have um, some subsidized pricing, some, you know, discounted subsidized pricing that we offer for small nonprofits. And what I mean by small are organizations that have small budget sizes, you know, usually, you know, under a million dollars or even under 500 thousand dollars of operating budgets um, so we do have some subsidized pricing for the smaller groups but basically what's been interesting is that when we've done our research not just on our clients but on any organization using this kind of system to communicate with their board the size of the organization really has no um, it really has no significance in terms of whether or not that organization will successfully use e-governance. The, the corollary really is whether or not the organization is looking for a way to improve governance and whether or not the board agrees that that's a need. That, those are really the two biggest determinants of whether or not implementing a board portal is going to be successful. It seems to have no um, bearing whatsoever on the size of the organization, the size of their budget, the number of board members, where they're physically located, how old the organization is. Um, none of those things seem to really be significant when we look at the data. What really seems to make the biggest difference is whether or not there is a perceived need to improve governance. Our governance is perhaps not um, you know, as, uh, as uh, effective as it could be. Our board members aren't as engaged as they need to be. They don't have enough ability to respond and react quickly. Um, and, and when there's that need and the board members agree we want to do something to address that need, that's when e-governance is, is most successful. So that seems to be the, the biggest determinant, not so much the size. Well, uh, but of course they still have to pay the fee, so um, <laughs> that 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 would be an issue at some at some level, I would think. Well, it, where it does can coaching also... come in um, to this to this platform? Where uh, if they have this platform, they have the ability to communicate online, they have the ability to store and access information. But is there a coaching feature? A coaching feature in terms of our working with the organization or coaching Being, what do you mean? Uh, board members having access to experts. Oh yes. Um, so well, yes. Let me let me answer that question. But before I do that, let me just actually go back one step and talk for just another second about pricing. I mean, one thing that's important to keep in mind is that for most of our organizations that we work with, you know, yes, it's an out-of-pocket expense. But when they think about the amount that they begin to save by not, per, you know, perhaps not doing paper board books at all, um, perhaps cutting down on the number of face-to-face -face meetings that they have to have. In the end, the vast majority of our clients find that they save money. It is another expense. It's something they have to budget for, but they often can pull that money from where they were spending it in other ways to do governance. So I just wanted to kind of mention that before we move off that topic. Um, but then to go back to the question of coaching, um, with Board Effect specifically, one thing that we really see as our mission um, as a company is to provide that kind of coaching and access to expertise for our clients. So within the portal, there's a section called the Resource Library. Um, and within that Resource Library, we provide access to best practice resources, um, good governance governance resources. We then also provide access to experts in the field of governance um, for the boards that we work with so that if they have particular needs for education or they have questions, they have access to a whole group of experts that we work with. So we really try very hard to make um, our services and our approach about implementing good go governance, about implementing best practices in governance, and not just about implementing software. Um, for us, software is just the tool that helps them to achieve better governance. And so our 
our, our goal is really to give them what they need or connect them to other organizations and other experts that we're aware of that can really help them meet best practices in governance. That's a, sort of the whole picture. And, and what's the reality of that? How, how often uh, do board members reach out to these experts, and is there a variable in cost for having access to experts, uh, or is it included in the license? Most of the expertise and resources that I'm describing are all included in the license. For example, right within the uh, the resource library of the portal are links to a variety of different um, articles and templates and samples. Um, we have a number of different uh, sample policies, for example, that we, we license and put directly into the resource library for our clients to use. So a lot of that is real-time. It's you know, 24-7, 365. Anytime they need something, they have a number of different resources right within the portal that they can access. And then in addition to that, we then provide quarterly webinars for our clients, and those webinars are always on topics related to good governance. So it's about how to leverage the board effect software in a way, for example, to manage um, leadership succession or to manage um, improving governance with the board or to manage communication with the board. So we, we always kind of pick a topic that we think is going to be particularly timely and relevant and then offer that webinar for free for all of our clients. Then in addition to that, if um, an organization is looking for assistance with some particular um, issue, let's say strategic planning, or perhaps they're looking for someone to kind of help them with hiring their next executive director, we also have a list of experts that we can connect them to, and we're happy to do that for free. I mean, usually those services would be negotiated with the expert individually, and, and whether they're free or whether there's a fee would be up to that particular expert that we connect them to. Um, but we're always happy to help them find experts, help them um, understand who's out there, who's doing that kind of work, and make sure that they have what they need. One of the biggest topics that I think is is always an issue for every board of directors is setting policy and what are best practices. Mm -hmm. um, does this provide access to sample policies on all sorts of topics, you know, from from HR to fundraising to property management? It, it actually does. Um, we, we formed a relationship with um, a group called BoardSource, um, which you might be familiar with. They, they used to be called the National Center for Nonprofit Boards. They're a nonprofit, um, and they do a lot of work in the area of good governance. They, they publish a number of different things, and they also provide um, conferences and training and consulting. And one of their, their books is called um, the Nonprofit Policy Sampler. So that's just an example. We license that material um, and include that in our portal free of charge for our clients. So it's over 240 sample policy documents on just about every conceivable type of policy that an organization might uh, encounter. So, for example, when they begin using a board portal solution like BoardEffect, one of the policies they may want to re review is their record retention and document destruction policy. Um, if they don't have one in place, it's a good opportunity for them to think about getting one in place. And if they do have one in place, it's always a good idea to go back and think, well, we're now storing a lot of our data in this portal. Does our policy give us any guidelines around um, when we should purge things, if we should purge things, what needs to be maintained indefinitely. So we always kind of, you know, make sure that to tell them that and kind of talk them through that process. And in that sample policy set are, I believe, five different versions of language that they can use. Um, they're all, you know, Word documents that they can open up and edit. And so we kind of help them think through some of those issues and then give them, you know, lots of samples that they can use to develop a, a revised policy or to incorporate new language into their existing policy. 
Um, so that's that's something. Well, and, that, and that's such an important topic uh, for uh, for boards of directors is is to set policies like that to base it on best practices. But I would imagine that something of that sort might even, as you, as you said, raise issues of policies that should be in place and right. simply haven't been thought of, like, like the document retention uh, policy. But there, there could very well be others uh, that boards should be addressing but simply have not come up. And it's always a good idea, I think, to try to anticipate issues and have policies in place rather than trying to, you know, race around and, and establish a policy based on a crisis. Well, absolutely, and in fact, you know, one of the other tools that we've embedded directly into our Board Effect portal is a way to create a board policy manual um, in the tool, and, and what we do is we provide a template, a table of contents template that sort of suggests to them some of the policies that they might want to consider including, you know, the record retention would be an example of one. Another one would be the whistleblower protection policy, and these are all questions now that are asked on the Form 990 that they have to submit every year to the IRS, and so many of them have already begun to think about some of these policies. You know, they're asked the question, do you have this policy in place? Do you have a conflict of interest policy? Do you have a whistleblower protection policy? So they're being asked these questions, and some of them are sort of scrambling to try to figure out, well, you know, we don't really have one in place. We don't even know how we would create a process for whistleblower protection, let alone a policy. Um, so we need to kind of think this through. So again, in our, our samples and our templates that we provide through the portal um, and our guidance, we're helping them to get that work done. Um, and that's not something that they have to pay extra for. It's all part of the, the portal license. Um, they have access to all that information, and it makes it much easier for them to get that kind of work done and really create a policy manual that then when the board members go into the portal, they know they're looking at all the current versions of policies. They don't have to scramble through an old briefcase to try to find the latest conflict of interest policy. Um, they can go right on the portal. It's right there. It's one click. They can download the policy manual and have it all at their fingertips. So that's something we're, we're really always encouraging our clients to do. Well, and of course, the, the, once that's done, the historical knowledge of, you know, people have rotated off the board and, and maybe the executive has changed, and there's no knowledge of the fact that uh, a policy was already established by the board. Um, and, uh, and if you have a central place, which is a, a trusted repository of, of the decisions of the board, uh, then it's easy for all board members to go back and to reference that and, and to remind themselves of decisions that predate their tenure. That's exactly right. In fact, it's so interesting that you say that because just the other day I was having a conversation with someone who was looking into board effect as a possible solution for their board, and they, they told me the story that you know, they had had this incident where um, a situation had arisen that the board had to deal with, and none of them could locate any policy documents around that issue. It was a conflict of interest issue. And so they created a conflict of interest policy. Um, they then later found in a drawer, <laughs> in a desk that hadn't been used, a conflict of interest policy that had been created um, three years prior, and none of the current board members um, that were there when they created the new policy had any recollection of that. So it was just this really difficult situation where clearly they had a policy in place that had completely different language from what they had just crafted. Um, and they, they were really trying to find some solution that would help them to mitigate similar problems um, in the future. They really wanted to have one place where everything was stored. They all wanted it to be you know, backed up daily, off-site and accessible anywhere that they have Internet access. And so that's what they were looking for Board Effect to do. And, in fact, you know, that, that is what it will be able to do for them. But it's just so interesting. You know, it, it is so true 
board boards of directors they're the leadership of the organization but they're a constantly moving target they're rotating all the time people coming onto the board people going off the board um, and staff can sometimes be the same way and so having one place that outlives any individual and is always accessible by the organization is just really critical it's very important to have that in place and of course, Dottie, that can raise very serious legal issues Absolutely. if a board of directors is not aware of policies that their predecessors have established and mm -hmm. someone takes legal action any even halfway decent lawyer is going to make hay out of the fact that the board didn't even know its own policies. No question. No question about that at all. That's absolutely right. And, you know, so a lot of organizations also see the implementation of e-governance as a way of limiting their own liability. You know, it's not just about convenience. It's about responsibility. You know, it's really about understanding what are the rules that we have in place, what rules don't we have in place that we should, and making sure that everyone has a way to know what those are. You know, there, there needs to be a way that everybody can get up to speed. And, you know, Unfortunately, ignorance of the law is is not a good defense. You know, it's really not. You need to know what exists for your organization, what's in place, and be prepared if someone should challenge that. So, um, you know, again, just having tools in place to make that easier, I think, is uh, is really really important. That's that's something that we're really trying are trying to do with our clients here at Board Effect. Terrific. Um, Dottie, we're going to take just a little bit of a station break for uh, a couple of announcements, and we'll be right back with our page two expert uh, talking today about board effect and the broader issue of e-governance for your organization. I do have a couple of uh, very uh, exciting announcements uh, today. Uh, those of you who are uh, readers of the P2Pfundraising.org newsletter uh, or the GreenNonprofits.org newsletter uh, know that uh, this is a month where we are doing uh, giveaways of the terrific uh, book, uh, the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. Of course, I say terrific because uh, it's doing so well, and I'm one of the authors of that book. We have uh, more than 20 experts from around the world in the Nonprofit Guide to Going Green. And in the promotion this month, the wonderful uh, folks at Santa Fe Aventus uh, are supporting the giveaway of a few copies of that book. Today I'm very pleased uh, to congratulate Linda Murray of Willingboro, New Jersey, uh, who is our latest winner of the Nonprofit uh, Guide to Going Green. So watch the next newsletter at p2pfundraising.org. If you don't receive that newsletter, you can register at p2pfundraising.org to make sure that you receive instructions on how you might win the next edition of Nonprofit Guide to Going Green brought to you by Santa Fe Aventus. The next big announcement uh, that I want to share with you here during the station break uh, is a, an announcement of our big anniversary show. Hard to believe it's going to be an entire year uh, come March 8th. So here on the Nonprofit Coach, on uh, March 8th, we're going to be celebrating our first anniversary, our first birthday, and the gifts will be going to you uh, during that show, and you'll uh, need to listen that day and, uh, and watch the uh, notices on uh, Twitter 
uh, Facebook and in the newsletter at phpfundraising.org. We're going to be giving away a, a bunch of wonderful things, and one of those things that we're going to be giving away is a full registration uh, to the terrific Digital Leap Conference. Digital Leap 2011 will be taking place in Toronto on April 12th. Uh, if you want to secure your registration, you can register right away uh, at a discount. There is a uh, early bird discount that uh, will expire uh, at the end of this month on February 28th. So I urge you to check out all the information about Digital Leap uh, at digitalleap.org. We'll have more information about the giveaways. We'll have more information about the big anniversary show for the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart coming up on uh, March 8th. But uh, right now, my duty is to get back to the show. Don't forget, you can dial in to 347-324-3080 if you'd like to ask a question of our Page 2 expert you can email me at tedhart at tedhart.com uh, or just simply ask a question over in the chat room. Hey, Dottie, we're back here uh, from the break, and one of the things I really want to focus on uh, is this topic of maneuvering through the economic downturn, uh, some of the topics that you're seeing beyond uh, just the economic crisis. Uh, but what about the staffing crisis? We, we spoke earlier uh, about uh, boards of directors and recruiting boards of directors, but I think it's increasingly a stressful time to serve on a board of directors. How do you manage that stress both for staff and board members? Boy, that's a really big topic. <laughs> we might need to do our own radio show just on managing stress. But, um, but you're, you're absolutely right. You know, it, it is a really stressful time, I think, to be in, in any position of leadership, you know, especially being on the board of a nonprofit organization. The, the economy has remained down. Donations are, are a little bit down. Um, a lot of organizations are having difficulty getting funding from sources that they've, they've always been able to get funding from. And then, you know, you do mention that there's the staffing issue, and, and that can take a lot of different faces. It can be an issue of having to decrease staff size and the stress of that. Um, it can also be the stress of having people who are getting ready to retire or rotate out of the organization and really having no idea um, where to find the next candidate. So there's, there's quite a bit of stress, I think, on uh, nonprofit boards of directors. I think one of the things that um, we're always encouraging our, our clients to do and we're always encouraging nonprofits to think about is that, you know, again, when there is this amount of stress being placed on the board, having a way that they can communicate with each other and share information and share ideas in a secure place is really important. Um, I'll just tell you an example. One of our clients you know, recently had an experience, it happened just about a year ago, um, where they had their executive director, their COO, and their CFO all leave within two weeks of each other. Um, and so they, they found themselves very quickly with an organization that had um, all of the top leadership missing. And so the board was uh, was clearly um, you know on on the on the docket there <laughs> um, to take charge of that situation. So they they very quickly got an interim director in place and began the process of doing the executive search for the next executive director. But they found that um, had they not had Board Effect in place, which is their their secure portal where they can you know share information as a board, they really would have had a much harder time getting all of that accomplished. All of this was happening last January, um, and this particular organization 
organization is in uh, is in the Philadelphia region, and we had just maybe one of the worst winters. Although we'll see, this winter so far has not been great <laughs> for us either. But it was just a terrible winter last year, um, and so many of their face-to-face meetings were getting canceled, and they were finding that they were able to still make decisions and move things forward and communicate with each other because they had a web-based portal where they could go, their board effect portal, and they could share documents, they could have conversations, they could even hold meetings um, and get things done despite the, the weather difficulties. So I would say that, you know, with these challenges, with, with having um, all of these different pressures on nonprofit boards of directors, it's, it is really now a critical time for them to be able to reach one another, share information securely, have a place they can go to get answers. Um, it's just very important. I think e-governance plays a major role in helping to, to meet that challenge. Talk to us a little bit about the webinar series that you put together uh, and how that uh, uh, expands the opportunity for education for board members. And, you know, we've been so focused on board members, but is there a component to all of this for staff members, executive directors, and others? Oh, absolutely, sure. So, so the webinar series that um, that we've been running, we had a, we started it last year. We actually kind of um, finished up the first leg of it um, right at the end of last year. It was called our e-governance tour, and what we're doing is providing free webinars, really all around the world, um, for nonprofit organizations. It's really both for board members as well as for for staff members on the subject of e-governance. What is e-governance? You know, really, what we're talking about when we say e-governance is the use of web-based portals. Um, to really help enhance government, governance of the organization, to give the board members a place where they can securely com, uh, converse about issues, store documents, retrieve knowledge, build knowledge, and a place also that can help the staff by making it a little easier for them to manage the work of the board, you know, that they can manage the work of committees, they can schedule meetings, they can create meeting books. All of that can be done electronically so that it's a much more efficient process. It often ends up saving the organization a lot of time and money um, because they can do everything much more efficiently. And so we, we talk about that issue, and it's, it's absolutely an educational session. What we do is we share the research that we've done on what's happening in the nonprofit sector as more organizations begin to adopt e-governance. We're starting to see shifts in governance. Um, we're starting to see that it's becoming much less of a staff-led process and much more of a board-owned process. As they have access to information, as they have um, you know, equal access to connect with one another and they don't need to necessarily do that through staff, we're finding that boards of directors are becoming much more self-sufficient. Um, they're really able to make the decisions they need to make and they're running things um, without so much staff time and so much staff intervention being required. So we're starting to measure that and as we measure that, we're putting together um, these webinars and presenting what we're finding back to the nonprofit public and, and we welcome anyone to attend. Again, they're always free of charge. Um, we usually publish them on our website and we're happy to have people come and join us and, and learn about e-governance and what's happening. Dottie, share uh, with our listeners uh, where they can find that information. Um, if they go to our website at boardeffect.com, that's B-O-A-R-D-E-F-F-E-C-T.com, um, and right on the homepage there's a news section, and as we have webinars coming up, we always post information about them right in our news section on the homepage. Um, and there's also a contact form, so if they want to be informed about upcoming webinars and upcoming events, um, they can just fill out that contact form and let us know that they're interested. We'll be happy to send them announcements as uh, webinars are scheduled. 
That's terrific. Well, it, it occurs to me that uh, a portal of this sort, the resources that it brings, in a lot of ways, while it allows board members to look internally and communicate with each other, it also becomes their window to the world because I think a lot of board members can feel very isolated uh, while they're responsible. They don't always feel that they have the resources or tools. And in some, in some cases where you might uh, turn to the executive director or a CEO as an educator or a guide uh, to help that board, they may also not have those skills. Uh, and this allows board members, uh, both seasoned and new, to feel that they are connected to the very best of practices in the sector. Uh, absolutely. And, and one of the other things that's been sort of interesting to see as more of our um, clients begin to use this system, what they're telling us is you're exactly right, that the board members use this portal as their window on the world. It's not just about, you know, looking internally and having access to internal information. But let me give you an example. One of the features of our portal is called the news and announcements section. And it's just a place right on the homepage of the portal where, you know, the board members or the staff members can post news and announcements for the board. What we've been seeing a lot of our clients do is actually use that section to post information about articles of relevance to the organization's mission and sort of filter, um, you know, filter out specific articles or specific press releases that they really think the board members need to focus on and be aware of. Um, sometimes the board chair is doing that work. Sometimes the staff member is doing that work. The impact that that has is a couple of things. First of all, the board members are much more up to speed with some of the challenges and opportunities facing the organization. And the other effect that that's having is that that information traditionally was going into the board meeting packet. And so you would end up with this board meeting packet that was just bloated with a ton of articles, news items, and things that really didn't relate to the meeting but were much more just generally informational, um, that information now does not have to be included in the meeting packet because the board members have access to that information in real time. They're learning about it at the same time that staff is learning about it. So the board is much more up to speed, and when they come to the meetings, they don't have to spend so much time in the meeting listening to reports. You know, they're getting that information in real time. They're, they're kind of getting it constantly. Um, it's much shorter, so the meeting now can focus on discussion. It can focus on moving the organization forward, really doing substantive governance as opposed to sitting passively listening to reports. They can get that information through the portal. So it's really having a, a, a major um, impact on how the board gets informed and how they do their work. That's terrific. Well, Dottie, thank you uh, so much for joining uh, us today here on The Nonprofit Coach and sharing with us what I might refer to as sort of the essence of modern board management, uh, that without these tools it's very difficult for board members to really know that they are basing their decisions on best practices. I'm going to wrap up uh, page two right now because our engineers have reminded me that we've run right to the end of the show before and have not been able to share uh, important information. So, Dottie, thank you so much for joining us today here on The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, great, great show. All right, so uh, here on page three, which we often don't get to because we run right out of time, uh, is to remind you where I will be this, uh, this week. I will be at the AFP uh, Think Tank on Regulations and Ethics. We had a promo of that last week, uh, and uh, next month we will have experts from that think tank coming at, onto the show and sharing with you details from the white paper that will be developed uh, from that think tank. So I appreciate the opportunity uh, to participate 
participate and will be reporting and tweeting uh, about the uh, the information that I find during the week. So you'll be able to follow me at Ted Hart on uh, Twitter. Our next show here for the Nonprofit Coach, very important next week. Don't miss the opportunity to have Clint O'Brien, who shared us uh, with us on page one, the announcement uh, uh, last week, uh, the announcement of New Jersey joining with the uh, creation of benefit corporations that serve nonprofits. We're going to be talking with Clint O'Brien, who's the Vice President of Business Development at CARE2, to make sure that everybody in the nonprofit coach listening audience uh, has the information that they need to understand this big change in this very dynamic nonprofit community that we work within. Uh, So with that, I want to thank everybody for uh, today's show. Uh, it's really terrific to have uh, both Dean Paul Burgett and Dottie uh, here on the show. Don't forget to join us next week uh, right here on the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart at 12 noon. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.